Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. This podcast is about amicable divorces, but every now and then I present a topic that in and of itself has nothing to do with divorce, but it's relevant to people going through divorce. And what do people deal with when they're going through divorce? Well, they deal with fear. They need to have courage. They need to be adaptable to their changing circumstances. And communication is at an all-time high if you want to get through the settlement and deal with those decisions better. On this call today, we are interviewing three exceptional people, Brian Bushway, Brandon Shin, and Jamie Kadish. Sorry about that, Jamie. Jamie Kadish. All three of these exceptional human beings were born sighted and are now blind. And what they have to discuss about how they dealt with this extreme life circumstance how they're living now, and the messages they have to share with you, I think will be golden to everybody. So thank all of you for being with us today. Well, thank you so much. This is Brian. Um, You know, on behalf of the rest of the Cusick Athletic team, we're privileged to be here in this conversation with you because, you know, there is so much hope. And as we as individuals had to adapt to this visual impairment, well, guess what? We still have relationships too with people, you know, from dating to making friends to, to the whole thing. So, you know, accessing the physical world from a visual impairment at the same time, we have to figure out ways to navigate the social world through all of that. So it's all relation in, in, in human based that our experiences sort of led to. And, with that, it's, you know, visual impairment just brings some unique perspectives. But one of the things I've learned in the rest of the team is there's so many reasons to be hopeful. And as we discuss more what we do with the Cusack Athletics in our own journey, I just like to challenge all the listeners to, to find the reasons to be hopeful. I appreciate you said a couple things, Brian. First of all, you introduced the company that you all are part of called Acoustic Athletics. Two words that I absolutely love being put together. When I met Brian, it was because I saw this video. He reached out to me. We connected on social media. Then I saw this video of Brian mountain biking. And it blew me away. And I said, I absolutely have to talk to this human being. This led to me talking to Jamie and Brandon and finding out that they all belong to this unique company called Acoustic Athletics. So Jamie or Brandon, tell us what Acoustic Athletics is. You want me to go, Brandon? Ladies first. Beautiful. Yeah, so Acoustic Athletics is a new pace for the human race. and. It is how we show up to the conversation of what it means to be a whole human and really find the spirit of life. And we are looking at 
how we face challenge with curiosity and what more information we can perceive. So acoustic athletics is based in perceptual development. And one of the biggest things that we talk about and teach is echolocation, which I'm going to pass it off to Brian because he is an expert at echolocation. Yeah. And so echolocation is this human ability for everyone to image with sound. It's like what bats and dolphins use, but it turns out that the human brain can adapt and actually use auditory information, sends it into the visual cortex, and specifically the object recognition parts of the brain are activated. So it creates this world of fuzzy geometry. You know, blindness is a bad term. It's not nothing. There is this rich, detailed aesthetics of the acoustic environment and the brain can adapt to actually image with sound and have a real rich three-dimensional understanding of where one is in space and what's around them. And, And all this happens because of the concept of neuroplasticity, which simply means that the neurons that make all our circuitry connections in the brain and plasticity, the plastic, our brain neurology is far more flexible And we can adapt to challenging circumstances. And that's why the neuroscientists originally started uh, measuring our brains and wondering what was happening because they wanted more insight to how the human brain adapts to challenges. And Brandon was one of my first students that I helped, you know, teach and, and, and develop these skills. And he could speak to some of his sort of life transformation by, you know, embracing this ability to see with sound. Brandon, this is a good opportunity for you to jump in then. So what were those, yes, how did you adapt after you went through some training with Brian and um, how do you function now within, within the world and what do you do with acoustic athletics? Well, that's a very uh, loaded question. <laughs> um, I guess I'll, First part of your question, do you mind reiterating that one more time? When you first met Brian, where were you at? What did you need? How did he help you transition and see the world differently without sight? Right. So I met Brian, you know, uh, right around uh, when I just turned 15. And then three years prior, I officially lost... Uh, most of my eyesight. Um, the official, I guess, a finding, not an exact diagnosis of, of my cause of my blindness is dubbed optical nerve atrophy. However, um, there is actually no precise diagnosis as to what caused my blindness. It doesn't fall under a specific category. So the cause of my blindness was basically a fluke of nature, as it was described to me. So obviously, you know, there's no clear answer as to why this happened to me. So you can imagine the, uh, you know, the, the grief and the drama that came with it. You know, there's no clear answer. There is no clear solution to, you know, the problematic card that life dealt me in this game of blackjack. So, you know, just had to, you know, just take the grief, you know, uh, you know, cry your tears and then pick yourself up and reshuffle the cards that life dealt you. So what was was your grief curve, Brandon? How long did you have to go through that cycle before you saw quote unquote light at the end of the tunnel? I think the grief period was, I'd say roughly maybe 
two years, roughly. And I, you know, there's a series of ups and downs, different hurdles that you have to go through. You know, uh, obviously the first year was the biggest hurdle, given that the people that I thought were my friends, they made fun of me when I was losing my vision. Um, before I was able to explain to anybody that, I, you know, I, I was having difficulty seeing, uh, you know, I was, my grades were suffering in class because my handwriting was sloppy. I wasn't able to read what the teacher had on board, so I couldn't take down notes. And it was a rough period that first year, uh, specifically maybe this first seven months when, six, seven months where it was hard for me to verbalize, you know, what was going on with me. I didn't even know how to explain, you know, what losing your vision you know, was like. So the grief period to sum it up was a period of two years in terms of just crying and, uh, figuring out, you know, you know, how to get back up. And then I guess, um, the next two years after that was just me just finally adjusting, you know, grief is over, you know, slowly getting out of that, uh, shell of grief of feeling sorry for myself or, uh, you know, all, all that negative stuff and really just picking up where the pieces dropped and just trying to put them back together. And then that's where I met Brian, uh, right around when I was entering high school was when I reached out to, uh, as Brian's mentor and in touch and from there rest is history. And Brian was my echolocation slash, fellow, you know, experienced blind man, if you will, who, who's lived his life, who's lost his vision before. And yeah, the rest is history from there, I guess. Brandon, do you also mountain bike? I, I have. Um, I do snow skiing when the season is right. Um, My Lord. So Brandon's also into firearms. Okay, oh, yeah. so let's let's freeze on that. What do you mean, <laughs> firearms? How do you know where your target is? I mean, there's different ways to do it. Um, I currently, uh, one of the ways I shoot is I use a spotter system. Um, so, which means, um, you know, in the military, when there's a sniper, there's a spotter. So, an individual who's usually next to the actual guy who's doing the shooting, uh, they have a set of binoculars and they usually give out... They call out the shots, the distance, the corrections that the snipers have to make. So it's another set of eyes next to the sniper. Uh, so I use a similar system there. And, you know, I, I use a different, you know, different ways to uh, do target acquisition. I am working with um, actually a, uh, a doctor who works for NASA and uh, Caltech. And he's helping me develop a software program that helps me uh, aim independently with my guns when I'm at the range. Um, I can't really talk too much in detail about that for obvious reasons, but. Um, okay. But, it, but yeah. it's interesting, even with shooting, like we've done skills development with Brain where we could put like a, uh, like a sound source near a target and then he can aim. It's pretty easy to teach a person how to aim with ear hand coordination uh, and be able to throw a ball or, aim something at a target. So it's, 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 that's, what's pretty amazing. And what we're learning here is like, wow, the human ear and brain is capable of so much more than we ever thought. And that's like, which allows Brandon to go out and do these interesting things. 
Okay, so Brian, when we talked previously and I got to know all of you, in our introductory phone call, you said when one sense goes, the other senses pick up. And you started talking about sound. And you said, well, every object has a sound because I couldn't figure out how the heck do you mountain bike without killing yourself? Could you please talk about that, how every object has sound, and that's how you navigate your way through? Yeah, every Every, just like, see, light and sound work in very similar principles. The only reason why people are seeing patterns of light is because that light is leaving the sun or a light bulb. And it's reflecting off of the walls. It's reflecting off of objects. And so the properties, whatever this object or series of you know, landscapes, whatever these objects are in the environment, they have different sound characteristics to them. Uh, one of my favorite places to teach and develop the skills is in botanical gardens. A banana tree, because it's big, broad leaves, sound very different in contrast to a pine tree with all of the thin needles. The sound reflects, gets absorbed very differently from the trees. And so it, part of the learning is developing a, an acoustic vocabulary. You know, what is a hollow sound versus a flat sound versus a muffled sound? And when we clue the brain into all of these things, the brain goes, aha, there is something there. As I talk now, I'll bring my hand in front of my face and, and the sound will change. As I'm talking, I'll make a shh sound and you'll hear it be interrupted. Shh. True. Right? And everybody at home can try that. You can make a little shh sound like you're a librarian. <laughs> you know, shushing the people. And, and then you could just sort of raise your hand up in front. Shh, and then take it down. And that difference is that hand in front of the face. Wow, that's an echo. That's the same thing as a wall. That could be the back of a car. And that could be the, the shallow hollow of a curb. You train the brain to recognize these environmental features. Just like everybody learned how to see with their eyes. We were just young kids and everyone forgot how they learned how to see. All of that sensory integration just happened through play. But what's really cool is if a person loses their vision later in life, because of all this neuroplasticity and this amazing ways that our brain can adapt with the right type of motivation to persevere, people's brains can change and literally hear the world differently to the point where your brain starts imaging. So humans are all born with the ability to see in the dark and to see with patterns of light. So the point is we're all born legally blind. It takes about four to six months for a young baby to fully form 20-20 vision. And then most of us will be leaving this world visually impaired also. So it affects all of us in, in, in different ways and it will at some point. So we're kind of all in the spectrum. And we don't really need to fear vision loss because our brains can adapt and, and learn to do things in, in really other significant ways. Okay, so the very first time you got on the mountain bike and took your first ride, how did you prepare yourself for that moment? I, I, I sort of 
brought brought myself up to skill sets. I first started being able to like walk in open areas and then I walked faster and then I started being able to run and I started with precision. Okay, I'm running, I'm moving faster. I'm now close to the back of the car. Let me dodge around to the left. And then once I could move at faster speeds, it simply became, wow, I'm going to use an active sonar signal with my tongue click. And then that sound reflecting is enough that I could recognize open space, more tight areas, and then I can navigate my bike and body through, uh, through the spaces because I can recognize like the hand in front of me and I can then tell where to ride. And so I sort of trained myself with, you know, bright progression to then have the freedom to then navigate a bike. And I use, you know, I was in a quiet residential neighborhood where I had a lot of, you know, control over variables. Like the biggest things are kids running out, dogs, you know, cars you can hear coming up and down the street. So you can always pull over to the side. And it was, it was awesome. It was one of those things when I first lost my vision at 14, you know, two years later, I'm back on a mountain bike. And by the time I'm graduating high school, I'm almost certainly the world's best totally blind mountain biker. And when I sat back and reflected on that moment, I was like, wow, in this short period of time, I never thought I'd ever ride my bike again. And now I got this cool title. It shattered all preconceived ideas about what I thought was possible in life. And that's what that moment as like sort of a, you know, a marker has always sort of informed me is like, Brian, you like, don't limit yourself and what you think you're capable of because you have so many of these other examples of you doing things that you never once thought were possible. And it became really empowering in that just translated into all other aspects of life. And, and one of the things is with acoustic athletics, as we take people through these experience, experiential sensory activities, they find themselves doing exactly that, doing tasks, living life, doing things they never thought was possible. And that becomes really empowering for people and it makes them question and about what is possible for their futures and, and, and everything else. So it's, it's, it's a really fun, exciting uh, environment to, to work with people in. I so appreciate that. Jamie, there is physical blindness and there is emotional blindness. And you, I'd like you to comment on something you spoke about when we talked previously. And you said you can't experience courage if you don't deal with fear. And losing your sight before you know that you can adapt has got to be very fearful. Can you talk about your journey through fear using courage to happiness where you are right now? Yeah. So the way we describe my position on the team too is I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm, I'm the bridge between the sighted world and the visually impaired blind world. I have a condition called retinitis pigmentosa, which is a degenerative genetic disease. So I'm losing my vision over a time span. Um, I still have a lot of functional vision and also it's not reliable. Um, and so I feel like when I was listening to Brendan talk about grief, like grief for me is a constant and it's really become this 
I think about it as the gym of life. It's become this opportunity for me to practice. I'm going to feel fearful about certain things. And also those moments of fear are asking me to be curious and be creative and ask for help and build community so that I can continue to live a full expression of my life. And it really has become this thing of like, I'm not trying to get rid of fear. I'm trying to work with fear because it's one of my biggest, um, biggest opportunities to grow. Brandon, how have you dealt with fear? So, I mean, I guess fear for me um, stemmed from a couple of different places and how I deal with it as well. Um, for me is, I think it was uh, coined by, uh, I believe, Mike Tyson, uh, Mike, Mike Tyson's boxing coach, is that a fear is a double-edged sword and that it could help you and it, it could also cut you. And he, he compared it to fire. You know, fear can be used to cook your food. It can be used to warm you up when you're cold. But, you know, if you don't keep track of it, you don't pay attention to it, you let it out of control, it can burn you and destroy everything that it gave to you. So I think fear is necessary to have courage, to have the ability to move on from grief, move on from whatever it is that is holding you back because fear is necessary. Fear is a lot like stress. You know, when you go to the gym and you're exercising, you're applying certain amount of stress to your body so that the muscles get torn. So you're applying stress so they could grow to be stronger and fear is necessary. And I, and that's something that I have to constantly remind myself when I do feel you know apprehensive or anxious is that fear is necessary. It's a natural feeling. It, it's, it may feel uncomfortable, uh, but discomfort is not to be taken and should not be mistaken with, you know, danger necessarily. So fear is necessary to, to grow. You can't have, you, you can't grow and experience all only the good things in life. You know, life is meant to be bitter, sweet. If you have too much of sweetness, you'll eventually lose the taste of sweetness. If you have too much of bitterness, you, you know, you won't know the taste of sweetness. So you have to have fear in your life to grow. It's necessary. So with that, which I think is brilliant, what you just said, so with that, fear is necessary. Do you still fear fear? <laughs> Do you, are you still apprehensive about things that can happen that would be fearful to you, but then also understand that you have the ability to get through it? Of course I do. Yeah. I mean, of course I, I, I experience fear. Any person out there who's trying to be this tough guy and has a tough guy machismo kind of thing that's, oh, I don't feel fear. Usually 99% of the time they're liars. Uh, you do have to feel fear. And yes, I'm no exception. I'm not in, I am by no means impervious to feeling fear and making mistakes uh, and all the other shortcomings that human beings inherently have, um, I do feel fear, you know, I, 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 I do feel, you know, fear when I am, you know, doing something that I'm not used to doing, you know, am I doing this properly? You know, all these negative thoughts, they do creep up, but at times they could be great motivators. 
So I guess you lean into fear as opposed to avoiding it or running from whatever situation is causing fear. Yeah. I like to think about it as like hugging. Like I, I hold it all. And because I hold it all and because I embrace it all, I get to feel the height of my joy just like I feel the height of my fear. And I really do believe if we disassociate or numb ourselves to the negative emotions, we're also taking away the potency of the good emotions we want to feel. Extend that thought. That's interesting. So if I am resistant or am I, if I'm pushing away the things that feel uncomfortable, it creates a, um, it just creates this space between me and all emotions, you know, like you don't get to pick and choose what you want to feel. So if you push away the things that don't feel good, you're also pushing away the opportunity to really satiate the things that do feel good. And so because I want to be so deep in the good feelings, I also know that that means embracing the things that don't feel so good. And when I do do that, it becomes an opportunity to be able to transmute the energy into something constructive or into something that I can create from versus just sit in. Jamie, do you go, and I wanted to clarify this with my question, do you go back and forth being, between being able to see to some extent and having light eclipse? Yeah, so the way that I like to describe my vision is it's kind of like a kaleidoscope. Um, the Because my eyes don't process light quickly, it's like the light is always moving and I'm always trying to bring in the picture. So something that I've started doing now with acoustic athletics, I grew up as a concert dancer through classical ballet and modern. I've started taking my ballet classes blindfolded because what I found is because I still have some sight my brain is trying to still process through the visual field and it actually creates more confusion in my body. So taking away my eyesight while I'm doing movement activities is allowing other systems in my body, like my feet, to take over things like balance. So it's actually been really life-changing to see that when I'm taking my sight away and allowing my other perceptual skills to turn on, I'm better than I am when I'm relying on my eyesight. And it only has continued to empower the psychological component of losing eyesight because once I took my first ballet class completely blindfolded, I was like, there's nothing that I can't do. This is, this is my... Um, my bar. That's like, this is where we're at. And life doesn't have to be this scary adventure into the unknown. It could be a really like inspiring and exciting and revitalizing adventure into the unknown. When you were saying that, talking about it's a kaleidoscope and you were testing yourself in ballet classes, I closed my eyes for a second and I envisioned myself on a dance floor doing ballet. And all of a sudden, I could almost feel how powerful it could be to have that type of control over your body in darkness. Totally. It's, it's, it's that. And also it's been really interesting because growing up as a dancer, we're in front of a mirror and we're taught to look 
at our position in space to see that it's right. And now I've really transferred into this place of feeling to know and not seeing to know. And it's really completely changed my relationship with movement from being this performative thing to being this tool that I get to use to navigate life. Yeah. And it's really interesting that you brought up the mirror because that was one of the first things that my whole relationship as a young teenager, my relationship with the mirror changed. And I found it really interesting. Now observing most people when they use the mirror, use the mirror to confirm their insecurities. They're always like eating themselves up with it as opposed to before anyone ever looked in the mirror. How do we feel from the inside out? we would probably see a very different reflection of ourselves um, in that mirror if we did internal work first and then looked in the mirror. So it's really interesting. So I, I broke free from the mirror. And it's, it's, it's been really interesting how everyone else uses it and relates to it. You said something, Brian, again, when we talked before. I wrote this down. Vision is being constructed in the mind. Yeah, because vision, we have this relationship that somehow vision takes us outside of ourselves, but right, vision is being constructed in the mind. The mind is the thing that's creating all of our realities and experiences. And that's why people, if they have a traumatic brain injury, they get an accident, their eyes and all those things mechanically can work, but the brain can actually stop processing visual information. So it's all being constructed in the mind and that's really where all of our different senses are, are inputting there. And most of life is being informed by our other senses. We just don't have a very sophisticated vocabulary to talk about them. And then everything sort of gets wrapped up under the lens of we as humans create a sense of reality through whatever our dominant sense is. And so that then becomes like, the supremacy filter of how we think everything is done. But really everything's being done in life from moment to moment, really informed by all of the other senses. We just don't really pay attention to it very much. Okay, so let's go there. How do you see people differently now than you saw them before? Yeah, I, I'm much more focused in a person's essence right? People have energy, right? We have terms like, well, they're glowing, they're radiating, they're beaming. These are visual oriented language that talk about a feeling and energy that people radiate, they're beaming. So we already sort of have this idea that, wow, we can sense people, right? And the first thing that a visually impaired person notices is a, a person's shoes, the way they walk, a person's gait. Because that's the first thing you're going to notice because you're hearing them approach before you're ever going to notice, you know, you're not going to get any like details of facial features and hair, but you're going to get a sense that, oh, here's a person, you know, they're in space and you hear their shoes coming. So a person's walk is the first thing that I notice about. And then you also said before the breath and voice are the windows to the soul. Because we're used to saying, well, the eyes are the windows to the soul. If you look at somebody's eyes, you know, but breath and voice are the windows of the soul. Speak to that one, if you please. 
Yeah, because the breath and the voice, the breath is resonating, the vocal cord, and it's coming from the inside out, right? And so because of that, I think it just, the voice and the breath can can be more insightful to where a person, the other person's inner world is at. Um, I can understand that. I can actually understand, because I come from a music background, mm-hmm. so I'm very in tune with sound. And if we just close our eyes while we're talking to somebody, I agree with you that we can start assessing who that person is, the, the validity, the truthfulness of the words they use compared to the sound of their voice while they're using those words. Exactly. And you, and you can also start telling as a person shifting in their chair, you can hear if a person's voice is coming closer. Are they leaning in? Are they moving farther away? Are they turning their head? And yes, you see, vision, most people don't even have a sense of control over their vision, right? Whatever the shiny things are, distract you, and then you're off looking in a different direction. Or yeah, I've done, we've done a lot of workshops with uh, sales teams, and we have this great little, like, you know, system where they, you know, talk to their clients with their eyes closed versus if they have all these windows open on their computer, it's amazing the quality and the meaningfulness that these sales guys have when their eyes are closed because they're not distracted by all the windows or the instant message that pops up. And so vision can, can pull people away without them even realizing it because it's just sort of in our, our habits. Okay, so, you're so right. You're so right. And I'm going to now kind of bring this back to relationships, people getting divorced. It's the end of a relationship. Sometimes those relationships should have never been formed. Sometimes the reason for those relationships, the basis for them is incorrect. So this is where we are emotionally blind quite often. People will say, we've all heard this, oh my God, that person is hot. That's just the kind of person I like. Okay, you're talking about the package. Well, the person isn't the package. The package is an expression of how you eat, how you were born, what your physical size is and, and shape and all of that. But that's not what sustains a relationship. And, you, and, and you, we also hear about, you know, a man will marry some, a woman who's completely hot if we're talking about heterosexual relationships or anybody. Somebody will get into a relationship with somebody who's hot, quote unquote, but the relationship doesn't work because hotness, I mean, what the heck is that? Let's talk about how all of you decide the people you really want to be around. One of the first things I look at with people like making friends, which would then progress or has progressed and been married 11 years, but I, with general people, I invest in people who invest in others. Mm. Right? I want to make sure that my investment in them down the road, that person is going to be a person of, of serving others. So, Because sometimes we can find ourselves in relationship with people who are just black holes of emotion. As much as you want to help them and give to them, they just keep taking. And so that's one of the things as I get to know people, I want to see, is this a person who's going to invest in others? 
And then that'll start defining if, if this is going to be like more of a long-term and how much emotional energy I should spend investing in this person. Brandon, we all feel differently with different people around us. We connect emotionally. We connect through intuition. And that phrase, listen to your gut, you know, listen to what's going on inside of you and the reaction you're having to people. How do you determine, do you work a lot on gut feeling and how do you decide new people that you want to bring into your life? Oh, that's a difficult kind of question for me to answer. Um, you know, obviously, I'm only 25. I'm not married. Uh, last girlfriend I had, uh, we broke up three years ago. But the question of how, if I listen to my gut feeling, well, you know, I, you know, my own personal shortcomings is that, uh, you know, I've had people in the past take advantage of me, um, people that I thought were my friends. So naturally there, there is a part of me that is always wary and suspicious about people. And, you know, I, I, again, I've had bad encounters. So the way that I usually determine people is that I want to hear them talk. I tend to be a listener. I only ask a few questions just to see how they answer. And it's not, mind you, like I'm interrogating them. Um, it's so much as, if you let a person talk, let them freely express themselves, give them a platform and environment to where they can actually talk. There's a lot you can, there's a lot you can deduce from how this person behaves and what their uh, you know, mannerisms and in other situations are probably going to be like, because projection, people always want to project an image, anything from the, you know, more notably from a visual standpoint, the way that we dress, the way that we carry ourselves, and going back to this idea of the mirror, our reflections, you know, there's an image we want to project more so visually than, you know, auditorily speaking. So in my case, to get a clear image of this person, you know, how does our head work? How, does, how do they think? I like to talk to them. So, you know, I'm, I guess, lame and old fashioned. So I'm not into the, I'm generally not into this whole you know, one night stand kind of hookup things because I want to know who this person is. Um, you know, you know, how do they, how do they, how do they, how do they see the world? How do they understand the world? You know? Right. And you know, you brought up something so important again, in relationships and when I'm mediating, when anybody is uh, working with a couple and mediating their divorce settlement, communication is key. The way people speak to one another while they're negotiating is as important as what they're negotiating. And when you said, I like to ask a few questions and I just like to hear people talk, this is so important that you said that because in a mediated, uh, in a mediation, when we're, when we're dealing with settlement, one of the things that does not happen with people on their own when they're in emotional strife 
getting divorced is they don't have the ability to listen. They're defensive. They're in fear mode. And they just need to get it over with because this is so painful. I can't live in this space anymore. Yet these decisions are ultimately important. And what I try and do with people is kind of what you just suggested and and what you said you do. And that is, I ask everybody to please not interrupt. Because if you let somebody talk uninterrupted and let the spaces be there, people need space to swallow, to reflect, to refine what they're saying. You will find out so much about somebody because when somebody talks uninterrupted and they even listen to the sound of their own voice coming back at them, the things that they're saying coming back at them uninterrupted, they actually start checking themselves. They actually start reshaping what they think and what they said until you get to the real person and the real message. Do any of you have a comment on that? Yeah, I would say that's, you know, much like a physical mirror offers a physical reflection of a, of you relationship and commu- the way you communicate to another person is a, I guess, an emotional and spiritual personal mirror of you. How are you being reflected off of this person? You know, how do, how do you conduct yourself around this person? The person's reaction is the ultimate personal reflection of how you're coming across. And that's, at least in my experience, that's what it was like. Granted, I can't see myself in the mirror. So I, in many ways, can see my own reflection off of another person. You know, how am I coming across this person or this girl that I like? And, and I like what you talk to is it's like communication, what you just explained to those people. Give it space. Ask, let them, let them talk, right? That's actually helping these people be better communicators, we all can become better communicators. It's a skill that we all can learn to do, just like everyone's learning. You know, Brandon, Jamie, I, other people are learning how to listen to the physical world differently with echolocation. Well, we also can get better at communicating. As I got better at a more active listener to echoes and cars, one of the things that it, it also taught me was how to be more of an active listener to relationships. And that's all part of like what of a lot of our exercise helps develop with people, you know, getting a sense of what do they actually feel on the inside? And then what is that process of how to actually in a constructive way, communicate this to the other people around us? Um, We can all get better at this. We absolutely can. I know. I was just, as I listened to you, just, I keep closing my eyes and listening and seeing how I feel about this conversation without my eyes open. And I started visualizing, well, shoot, you know, what if we all closed our eyes for a while and just spoke to each other? I think without, without that um, diversion of sight, oh my gosh, can we have deeper relationships with each other? Lately. I kind of think we can. Jamie, go ahead. 
Yeah, I, I was reflecting on all that's being said and thinking about how losing my eyesight and having this difference of experience has influenced my friendships and my partnerships. And I've really used it as something that weeds out the phony really quickly because having a difference challenges other people to sit with their uncomfortabilities with either showing up to support other people with differences or the differences they have that they're not vulnerable with or sharing or asking for help with. And it's been really interesting the more that I embrace my identity now as a visually impaired adult, the more that I see it as a tool to understand who is my people and who is not. Yes, yes, I can. I absolutely understand that. Adaptability, imagination. These are two things that anybody changing their relationship from marriage to a single person, from a parent to a co-parent, to a non-working parent to now I have to go out and work. So these are a lot of changes that happen in a divorced person's life. We have to have imagination to be resilient. I think you were the one that said that, Jamie, when we last spoke. Would you extend that? idea, please, about imagination and resiliency and crafting a new life that could be unexpected and brilliant? Yeah, completely. So I was introduced to this concept when I was an early childhood educator as a preschool teacher for many years. And they talked to us about imagination and the importance of developing and continuing to deepen your relationship with imagination as a child because that transfers to faith as an adult. And if we are able to imagine a moment better than the one we are in, it creates this hope and faith within us that things will change and this too shall pass. And so remembering that in our darkest times, our imagination can color, you know, the next step forward. It gives us this very tangible tool that is, you know, completely free and within us. We don't need anyone else to source it for us. It creates this direct, you know, hand pulling you out of, you know, a dark moment. Thank you. Brian, Brandon, would you like to comment on that at all? Yeah, creativity, it's, it's powerful because in creativity, I think, is a natural result of spirituality, right? Where it's pretty, we're able to take something that never existed, imagine it, and then with art, with music, whatever it is, business ideas, plans for the future, we can actually now create the physical representation of the things that didn't exist before. And it's pretty powerful that I just don't think we dream and create enough. Like at a certain point in my life, yeah, there were other role models of visually impaired people doing things, but I had these deeper like soul cravings, these desires in my heart that I had to learn to listen to more than what the societal messages were. And so I found myself, well, the common like social scripts out there aren't going to bring me on the path to the life I truly want to live. So at a certain point, I started having to be like a creator of my own 
life scripts I wanted to move forward in. And so I had to think about things outside of the box in different ways because there was, there was no roadmap after a certain point. So I just had to go out and start creating it. And, and I knew in that process, I was going to put myself in uncomfortable situations. And I remember asking myself, all right, am I willing to stand in uncomfortable places for a while? And I said, yes. And the result of that was I developed the character strengths of perseverance, resilience, grit, and courage, knowing that, wow, how am I going to face this uncertainty of the future if I can stand in these uncomfortable moments? I know that I'll have something to gain from all of this. And those were those character attributes. And so then that, once you go through that, those seasons of life, you start recognizing them quicker. And so the things that are the obstacles that seem like shut us down, slow life, put everything to a stop, it, it can be really demoralizing. It can be hard to imagine a new future because we're comparing it to the past. But part of our jobs as humans is to know, wow, if we can be hopeful for our future, the way and the choices we make on our day-to-day the choices we make for our future will eventually redefine the hurt of the past. And that's just part of the process of, of growth. So to wrap all of this wonderful, just wonderful philosophical look at, um, at something that could be completely devastating and it doesn't even matter what it is. We all have different devastating things in our lives, but, but, but the takeaways and to move this forward would be when something dramatically changes our life, we go into fear mode, but fear leads to courage. If we have imagination, we can then through imagination adapt to our new situation. And as we adapt, we communicate differently and in a way that can be even more fulfilling and sustaining and positive than we could ever imagine. And you all have given me just such a better perspective on life. You've made me feel so good talking to all of you. And I can't imagine that every single person listening to this interview isn't walking away with a whole different idea and sense of self and how to move forward and craft their new future. I, I stand in respect and appreciation to all of you. And I thank you so much for sharing your stories. Would anybody like to do one last comment before I move on and and thank the audience? Yeah. And one of the things that I realized too is we all have insecurities. And obviously the visual impairment was a big insecurity as I was trying to figure out how to make friends, find potential partners to date. And I realized, well, if I have a lot to bring to the relationship table of life, And my essence will be stronger than whatever those insecurities are. So I made active choices to develop passions, interests, and to try to build natural energy in my life that others would just be attracted to. Wow, what's going on over there? I'd like to know more. 
and the visual impairment, the label put me in this box of low expectations where I was always seen as the care receiver and I had to create opportunities to be the caregiver. And the best long-term solution I ever found from changing any prejudice or stereotypes was to find creative ways to serve the people around me. And that's been the best life lesson relationally that I think I've, I've developed is finding creative ways to serve the people around me. And that is what I hope everybody can start looking at their lives and how to move forward. And, and I think we'll all find ourselves in a much more better relational place. Thank you for that. Jamie, Brandon, any last words or no? Yeah, I, you know, the thing that keeps coming up for me when we talk about courage and faith and how to move forward from a time that feels incredibly challenging is really asking ourselves, are we going to be a victim to this experience? or Are we going to be a student? And when we sit in our studenthood, we find the imagination, the creativity, and the opportunity to build our character and reveal deeper, deeper sense of who we are and a deeper understanding of what we're capable of. Here, here. Brandon? Yeah, I would say that just going off of this idea of creativity, sometimes the best creative product was found through suffering and that suffering was created from, from the fear that you were feeling because, you know, sometimes creativity has many forms. It comes in many different derivatives. And one of the many ways that it appears to people is that resourcefulness. Sometimes there will be a problem out there that can't be solved with, with the, you know, the normal prescription prescripted solution. So in times like that, you have to be creative. You have to be resourceful. And the only way that you're going to be resourceful is that you have to lean in to the thing that you're afraid of, the thing that you're afraid to come to terms with or face to, be face to face with. And you do have to lean in to the things that you're afraid of, that you're fearful of, because the further away you lean and get away from the thing that you're afraid of, that you're feeling fear toward that's just going to create another form of blindness. The first see your whole life, you're just going to try to push that thing away from you that you're feeling fear towards and it's going to get smaller and smaller. And there'll be a day that you'll not be able to see it clearly. And you've effectively blinded yourself from the thing that, that you're afraid of. And in many ways you've neutered your ability to, be resourceful, to be creative, to find a solution towards the problem, that fear that you were having. Yeah. And anybody listening, if you'd like to, you know, challenge and discover more of your blind spots and approaches, you know, to life, please contact us at Acoustic Athletics, Instagram, our website. We could, we have programs to help people not only hear the world in new ways from physical, but we also have programming that help communication and actively listening to relationships. So please, you know, become friends on Instagram and acousticathletics.com. This is the perfect way to end. All of this information will be in the show notes. Brilliant. I feel like the luckiest girl in the world that I got to meet all of you and spend some time with you. Thank you.
Thank you for sharing yourselves with me and the audience. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, my ultimate pleasure. And thank all of you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. You can reach me through my email, judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com, judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And very soon, if not by now, I will have that feature on my website uh, to enable you to write in to me uh, that way. So thank you all again, and as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 